yeah, <coughs> ill-advised, regretful Facebook post about, uh, I'm going to attempt something today that I've never, ever, ever done before. And uh, you're all about to have like a dad moment, right? When I, when I make this really lofty, set up the expectations for my kids and they're really excited and they find out what it is and they do like this, ah, dad. Y'all are about to have a dad moment just like that. Uh, so there's no, there's no trickery involved. Although I was recalling with the elders this morning uh, in our prayer time that uh, I, I do have quite a list of uh, feats and tricks that I've done uh, in the course of a, a preaching career. So I think uh, um, I've, uh, you know, I've sung, I've danced, um, I've set things on fire. Uh, once I had a Taekwondo expert come up and teach me how to break a board, I did that for the first time in front of a live congregation. Um, I got arrested once as a part of a story, on purpose, right? I knew it was coming. I got arrested once. Uh, so I, I've done a few things. Um, this isn't anything like that. I'm sorry. You're going to have a dad moment. Uh, what I'm going to do, uh, you're going to find out right now, is uh, I have never, ever preached on the same verses multiple weeks in a row. That's it. So we're going to, that's it. That's it. See? <laughs> You didn't believe me about the dad moment. You really had the dad moment, didn't you? It's like, oh, you're kidding me? And, and, and now I'm also realizing that I'll never be able to get that trick done again either, right? Normally there's like 10 people here, and everybody's here thinking, oh, what's going on? But I'll never, ever be able to pull that trick off again on Facebook. So I realized that was my one and only time. So I've never, ever preached on exactly the same, ver- two different sermons on the same verses two weeks in a row. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at exactly the same passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that we looked at last week. Exactly the same passage, and you're going to get a very different sermon. Uh, two different sermons on exactly the same verses. And uh, the reason that we're doing this is that uh, in this little beginning series of the, the new year, we're thinking about what is it, why are we here? What are we doing? What is this congregation, this community all about? And we're defining that really clearly as uh, that this is a community that does the great thing, uh, that does the top thing, that does the, the most important thing, that does the lasting thing. And in the scriptures, there's only one thing that ever, ever, ever gets described as that, and that is love. And so the scriptures tell us that our calling as God's people, as a community of faith, is to love God and to love our neighbor. Now, uh, it's easy to say that, yes, okay, let's love God and let's love our neighbor. And then we have 250 different understandings of what does that look like to love God and to love our neighbor. How do we, what does that even mean? Uh, in our culture, we can talk about I love chocolate, uh, I love music, and I love my mother, and I love my kid. And if I love chocolate in the same way that I love my mother, uh, that's problematic, right? We don't really mean that. Uh, but what do we mean when we say love God? Is it more like loving chocolate or more like loving my mom? What do we mean when we say love our neighbor? What do we mean when we say love our enemy? Our calling is to be people who are growing in our capacity, in our depth, in our profundity of love. And so uh, there's really no higher description of what that love is uh, than we find laid out for us in this chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. It's often called the love chapter. 
And so last week, we spent some time looking at this chapter on love, asking the question, uh, how, do we get this, how do we get this love uh, for God? Right? How do we grow in our ability to love God? And what we said was uh, that this chapter, first of all, is not a recipe, it's not a checklist, it's not a bunch of things to go and practice and do, uh, but this is a person. And when we encounter this person, the person who is described here, the love who is patient, the one who is kind, the one who is never boastful, the one who lays down his life for you. When we encounter the one who is described here, uh, we begin uh, to move towards uh, the capacity to love ourselves. And so that was last week's conversation. Uh, this week, we want to have a very different conversation. Uh, we want to have a conversation that says, if, if I'm embraced by this one who loves like this, if my heart is broken uh, by the one who loves like this, if, if, I am, if I come to the end of myself and find the one who loves me like this, then what will my love begin to look like? How, how will I begin to express the love that I'm beginning to experience? That's the conversation that we want to have today. So let's look at the same text. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I could speak in any language in heaven or earth, but didn't love others, I would only be making uh, meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I knew all of the mysteries of the future, and knew everything about everything, but didn't love others, what good would I be? And if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move, without love I would be no good to anybody. I... If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable, and it keeps no record of when it has been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love, therefore, will last forever. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will all disappear. Now we know only a little, and even the gift of prophecy reveals little. But when the end comes, these special gifts will all disappear. It's like this. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child does. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly as in a poor mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me now. There are three things that will endure, faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these, the greatest thing, the best thing, the lasting thing, is love. So when I begin to step into this kind of love, when I begin to experience uh, being embraced by the one who loves me this way, uh, then I begin to express that love around me. And so the first question I want to, to ask us is, what does that look like? How does that expression of love begin to unfold? And in verse 7, uh, there are four uh, phrases 
that unfold in front of us. In verse 7, there are four phrases. And in the original language, each one of those four phrases begins with a little Greek word, panta. And that means always. Always, uh, and it can also mean in the negative, never. So there are four things that love is either always or never. Four characteristics of love. The first one, Paul says, this is true love, this is real love, this is the love that you will not only experience but reflect. First of all, true love, it says, bears all things. Uh, our translation uh, in the NLT says, never gives up. Uh, love bears all things. Love um, um, uh, bears everything. When you think about bearing everything, uh, the idea there is that love covers up offenses. Uh, when it is offended, love bears that pain. Uh, when it is uh, violated, when it is uh, when violence is done against it, when somebody pushes against that kind of love, uh, real love bears that. No matter what the person you love does, no matter how offensive the person you love is, you always forgive. Real love always bears always forgives. The uh, first time I really experienced being loved like that uh, comes from my, my childhood. Uh, I was uh, a really nasty teenager in a lot of ways. Um, dark. Uh, periods of my life were very angry, very depressed, very volatile. And um, put me in a lot of conflict with my parents. And so uh, one particular night, um, this is a night that is just emblazoned. It's seared into my head. I can remember uh, the smells. I can remember that it was storming. I can rem remember what I was, I can remember everything about this moment. And I got into a particularly dark and nasty and volatile confrontation uh, with my dad. And he was sitting there just receiving this vitriol and this anger from me. And finally, to my, uh, to my everlasting shame, uh, I just screamed at him, I hate you. I hate you. And because love bears all things, my dad received that. He swallowed that. He took that on, and he loved me back. He just kept loving me. What Paul is saying is that when love receives the worst, it gives back the very best. It's no surprise to you that this language of bearing all things is exactly the same description that we find in the New Testament of how Jesus bears our sin. He absorbs it. He takes it. He receives it. He swallows it. He receives the worst that we have to throw at him. And he, and he forgives. He finds a way around. He finds a way through. He finds a way past. He keeps loving. He keeps forgiving. No matter how offensive, real love never stops because you see the worst in somebody, because you see the flaws in somebody, because you see the brokenness or the sin or the offense in somebody. Real love bears all things, says Paul. There's a second panta. There's a second everything. 
And the second thing is this. Uh, Paul says that uh, real love always trusts. Love always trusts. Uh, uh, our translation says it never loses faith. In the, in the uh, original language, faith and trust are translating the same word. Real love always trusts. What does it mean to trust something? What does it mean to put your trust in something? Uh, if I uh, am going to trust in a chair, uh, what that means is that I'm willing to put my weight on it. I'm willing, I'm willing to give myself to that chair. Right? If, I, if I trust a chair, I'm saying to this chair, okay, uh, I believe that you will hold me up. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, put weight on you. I'm going to lean on you. I'm going to fully invest in you. Right? Uh, you, you, when, you, when you trust a chair, you fully invest in that chair. You don't partially invest in it. Right? You don't keep some of your weight uh, on your knees and ready to, right? You fully invest in that chair. And you're saying, I'm, I, be, I become vulnerable to that chair. Right? If that chair collapses, I collapse. I'm, 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 I'm saying my future and the chair's future are, are going to be intertwined. Uh, and if I believe that my investment in that chair and my, in my, uh, my belief in that chair uh, is faulty, and if that chair starts to collapse, uh, I might withdraw my investment. I might pull away. Right? I, might, I might stand up really, really quickly and say, I'm not willing to be vulnerable to a broken chair anymore. I'm not willing to uh, have my future and that chair's future intertwined. I'm going to withdraw my investment. And what Paul is saying is that it, true love never, ever does that. True love always trusts. True love says, I'm going, to, I'm going to put weight on you. True love says, I'm going to lean on you. True love says, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, let my future and your future be connected, no matter how costly that is. A number of uh, years ago, when we were first in the process of uh, welcoming our uh, who would become our youngest son into our home. Um, ben was um, sort of getting to know us as a family, and uh, um, we had this, this uh, <laughs> a series of conversations uh, with people about previous foster placements that Ben had experienced. And uh, he had uh, one adoption previous to, to our adoption uh, that was undone. He had another adoption that was in process and stopped. Uh, he had a series of foster families that um, engaged and then disengaged, uh, just a, sort of this revolving door. One um, uh, individual described it like a piece of Velcro, right? If you keep tearing the Velcro off pretty soon, there's just no stick left. And so there's a lot of concern about, he, you know, Ben doesn't have a whole lot more uh, terrors to go. And so we had this, we had this conversation sitting around our kitchen table in our house. And uh, his attorney had, had come down from uh, Traverse City. And she sat at our table, and she looked at us in the eye. And this is what she said. She said, listen, here's what I want to know before I feel good about you adopting uh, this boy. She said, what will it take? What would it take for you to give up on him? Has anybody ever asked you that question about one of your children? What would it take for you to give up on him? And basically, our answer at that moment was, I think I said something like, short of murder, mm, I don't think we're going to give up on it. It wasn't too long after that 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 was put to the test in some really interesting ways. Uh, one of our favorite family stories about Ben's early days with us is uh, not too long uh, prior to him coming to live with us, I bought a new car. And uh, we were going to take a road trip, and uh, he got into the uh, backseat of my new car, 
and somehow he had gotten a hold of a pocket knife, and he sliced off the back seat with his pocket knife and didn't say anything about it. Nobody noticed that it happened, and suddenly several days later, I looked in my back seat, and it was all sliced. What does it take to give up on you? What does it take to withdraw my investment? What does it take to disconnect? And Paul says, love never withdraws. Love never disconnects. Love never says enough. There's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that you can say. There's nothing that you can become. Where I'm going to say to you, I'm going to withdraw from your life. I'm going to stay connected. Stay committed. No matter how costly that is. Then there's a third always. And that is love always hopes. Our text says love is always hopeful. What does it mean to hope? What does it mean that love is always hopeful? Here's what that means. Uh, It's really interesting in the uh, New Testament that the words hope and joy are so often connected. They're not always connected, but over and over and over again, we find hope and joy uh, living side by side. And uh, in Romans, for example, three times we see something like rejoicing in hope or hoping in your joy. Uh, And this relationship between hope and joy is really helpful for us. Uh, One of the things that we want to say about what hope is, is that hope is the thing that your heart delights in for that thing itself. Hope is the thing that your heart delights in for that thing itself. Uh, You can like some things, because they bring you other things, right? Uh, I have this uh, wild idea that sometime this year I'm going to go to the gym, right? And um, there, there are uh, some circumstances under which you could make me say I like going to the gym, but I don't like the gym for its own sake, right? I, I, you know, I like the gym because I have more energy. I like the gym because I feel a bit healthier. I like the gym because I can go with somebody and have relationship. Right? I, I don't like the gym for its own sake. I like it for whatever benefits I get from it. My younger brother likes the gym for its own sake. Right? He delights in the gym. His hope is in that thing. Right? I don't understand that. But that's, what he, that's where he lives. Right? right? Greg is sitting back there thinking, what's wrong with that guy up there? Right? Come on. He's gonna, he wants to change my mind. I know he does. He wants to change my mind. But this is, uh, there are things in our life, there are people in our life, that we come along and we say, Mm, I enjoy you, uh, but there's, but, but really what I'm saying is there's something useful about you. There's something about you. Uh, I've been working with a man in our community. I've been coaching uh, with him uh, for about six months now. And one of the insights that he had was, you know, almost every relationship that I have is a relationship I have because it gives me the benefit of some network. Uh, there's some utility to it. There's some usefulness to it. I like these people because of what I can do. And what Paul is saying is that finally, ultimately, there comes a place, there comes a thing that you say, I like this, I love this, I hope in this, not because of something else that it can give to me, but for the thing itself. I delight in this person for who they are, for who she is, for who he is. Not for what they bring me, but just simply for who they are. That's what the Bible calls real love. It delights in the loved one for who they are in and of themselves. And then he goes on, number four, and he says the fourth thing is that love always endures. 
or love never fails. This is hard. This is a hard one. It says, love never fails. Love always endures. Love never gives up. True love bears all things, it trusts all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, it, it, it always trusts, it covers over sin, it covers over fault, it's always hoping, it's always under, and because of all those things, it never fails. Here's, here's why. If your love is real, if your love is real, it won't fail. If your love is real, it won't fail. If your love fails, if it ends, we have to consider the possibility that it was never really love to begin with. That's why C.S. Lewis says that most of what we call love as human beings is really hunger. Most of what we call love is really hunger. Uh, and, and when Paul says love never fails, it never ends, what he's suggesting is if something that you think that you loved, you stop loving it, uh, your hunger was satisfied. Uh, uh, whatever need that thing was meeting in your life has ended. It's no longer able to meet that need. Uh, if I love somebody and it fails, what that means is that I've loved them for something else that they brought to me, something else that they did for me, some other condition that they satisfied in my life. Uh, if uh, That love will always fail. That love will always fail because at some point or another, uh, whatever they bring to me, uh, they will no longer be able to bring it or somebody else will bring it better. I'll always find another, another way to have that need met. My heart is really not invested in that person. It's invested in the thing that I'm, the other thing that I long for, the other thing that I hope for. If your love ever fails because someone is no longer bringing you what you need to meet your needs, then that wasn't really love. And everybody in this room you look at that picture of love, right? Love bears all things. It forgives all. It always finds a way through, no matter what, what no matter what is thrown at it. Um, love is invested. Love is never going to disengage. Love is never going to give up. Love is love is saying, "I love you for who you are, not what you do for me." Every one of us wants to be loved in that way. Every one of us wants. People in our lives. Every one of us wants the experience of having that kind of. Nobody came up. Nobody woke up this morning and said, "You know what I'd really like to do is I'd like to be somebody's tool to help them to get something else that they really want. If I could get used by somebody so that they could get the thing that they really need, they could get pleasure, they could get power, they could get connections, they could get money, they could get confidence, they could get approval, they could get congratulations, whatever that, whatever else I can bring to them, I'm just their tool. Nobody wants to be loved that way. But we, but we, and also, almost none of us can love that way. And so that so that that asymmetry. We want to be loved that way, and we can't be loved that. We can't love others that way. We want it, but we can't give it. We we long for it, but we don't know how to provide it. Uh, there's a, a great little uh, movie called Bullets Over Broadway. I think it's a Woody Allen movie. Uh, and there's a scene in this movie. Uh, starring uh, uh, John Cusack, I think, is the lead. And uh, John Cusack uh, plays sort of this bohemian character living in uh, sort of early 20th century New York. And uh, he's having a, a conversation uh, with his friend Sheldon. And uh, Cusack's character uh, is sitting there in this little coffee shop. And, and uh, it, um, 
uh, he's in a relationship with somebody, has a girlfriend, uh, but he also ha now has the opportunity to have an affair. Right? He, he, he has a, the opportunity to cheat. And he's contemplating that. And he, and he says to his friend Sheldon, he says, you know, um, what do you think? Is it wrong for me to cheat on my girlfriend? And, uh, and Sheldon looks at him and says, you know what? Uh, morality is whatever you make it. Um, if, if you want to use somebody for more pleasure, if you want to maximize your pleasure, if you want to maximize your freedom, if you want to maximize your options, whatever you want, morality is whatever you make it. And so um, he thinks, you know, uh, Cusack's character is thinking through that. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that. And what happens is uh, he goes home to his girlfriend, and he finds out that his girlfriend is having an affair, he's, that she's cheating on him. And he's indignant, right? He said, how could you do that? How could you break our commitment? How could you violate this trust that we had? How could you desecrate this relationship that we had? How could you cheat on me? And who did you cheat on me with? And she said, well, Sheldon. Right? Because, why? Because Sheldon says that morality is whatever you make it. I want the freedom to use people around me to get the things that I need. And we all function at that level. At some, even, the scripture says that there comes a time that even a mother, even a mother forgets her child. There comes a time that we recognize that even a mother's love for her baby isn't pure. We all want it, but we can't give it. So then what do we do? And I think that the answer uh, is sitting here in verse 6. In verse 6, it says that love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. And, and, this, is, and this is what that means. Love rejoices with the truth. Uh, literally, uh, that text says that love sings along with the truth. So how is it possible that love, that truth can sing? What is the song that truth sings? And, uh, and there's even one commentator who says, this is impossible. Truth doesn't sing anything. Truth is truth. It doesn't sing. And, and this is the point. Sometimes the scriptures talk about truth as sort of this generic blanket idea, right? It's all things that are true. It's all things that are, are, um, um, that are so. So there's sort of generic sense of truth. But sometimes uh, the scripture talks about the truth. Uh, truth as, uh, as a, almost an entity that has power, that has life, that does things. Uh, and, and when the scriptures talk about truth in that way, uh, scripture is talking about the gospel. The truth of the gospel. Right? The, the, the truth of the gospel has power. The truth of the gospel is engaging. The truth of the gospel speaks. And here, the truth of the gospel sings. So what is the song that the gospel is singing? The song of the, that the gospel is singing is this. The, the gospel comes and says to you, listen, you all want something, but you can't give it. Right? You're, you're helplessly mired in hypocrisy. Right? You want to be loved for who you are. You want to never be disengaged with. You want people to never give up on you. But you, always, but you love people ultimately for what they give you. And you do disengage, and you do give up, and you do walk away, and you don't bear all things. You want, and you don't do it. And that's who you are, and that's your condition. You're just utterly stuck there. And because you are just utterly stuck there, that miserable condition, Jesus came 
And he said, I'm willing to give up for a moment the love of the Father so that I can love you. I'm willing to give up the love of heaven. I'm willing to have that moment where I'm forsaken by God so that I can love you, so that I can reach you, so I can bear all things in you, so that I can not disengage from you, so that I can see you restored. Jesus gave up the love of heaven so that you could love one another, so that I could love you, so that you could love me, so that we could finally get the thing that we all desperately want that we can't give to each other. And what Paul is saying here is that love comes along that gospel, that singing gospel, that gospel that's singing about what Jesus has done to love you, what he's given up to love you, what he enables in you to receive that you can't get anywhere else, that good, good, good news. He says, sing along with that. Sing along, begin to sing that. Sing that gospel. Let that gospel become part of your voice. When I was, uh, I was in uh, Ontario this past weekend in Waterloo, we had a, uh, this uh, conference, and uh, at the end of the conference, I was standing in front of somebody. Uh, we were singing a closing song, and the person behind me could really sing. I mean, it was amazing. And the person behind me was singing, and as that person was singing, guess what? For the first time ever in my life, it sounded like I was a really good singer. I didn't know I was soprano, but, I mean, you know, it was a really, I, I was sounding really good. And, and when we come alongside the gospel and start to sing the gospel, and we and we and we and we and we find the beauty in the in the truth of the gospel, what begins to happen is that I begin to sing that gospel to others, that the gospel is singing through me. This 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 possibility of loving others is singing through me. The invitation is that we pick up the score, we pick up the music. And we practice it. We learn what it looks like to be loved that way as we sing the gospel, as we hear the gospel over and over and over and over again. So where do we practice that? How does that work? We have two places that we invite you to practice singing the gospel, to rejoice, to sing along with the truth. Uh, in the first place, under uh, Loving Our Neighbor, uh, we talked about practicing that song uh, in our Oasis groups. Uh, an Oasis group here is a small group of people who come together, and not only do they talk about how to engage and apply and live out uh, the scripture and, the, and the, uh, the teaching that we work with on a Sunday morning, um, but it's a longer-term relationship. And the idea is that over time, uh, when you're in community with people over time, doing relationships over time, eventually what happens is it gets messy. It, uh, it starts to break. Uh, you can show up uh, as a facade of yourself for a while, but eventually you show up as who you really are, and everybody begins to show up as who they really are. You know, the night you're tired, the night you're hungry, the night things didn't go well, you had an argument at home, or you show up with your spouse and you have an argument in front of everybody, right? Uh, you're disappointed somebody isn't uh, letting you talk or talking all the time, or uh, the schedule isn't being, all kinds of things that just start to build up. And what, and what we say is in an Oasis group, uh, that's a place to sing the gospel. That's, that's a place to sing that gospel. 
and, and what does that look like? Uh, in, in that verse 6, it says, not only does love sing along with the truth, but it says that love never, uh, in verse 6, it says it never sings along with injustice. It never sings along with sin. It never sings along with brokenness. So, so I, say, I, want, I want to say this really, really carefully. Love is not license. Right? Love is not say, I'm just going to love you and let you be who you are, even if that means you're driving off a cliff. Love never sings along with injustice. It never sings along with sin. It never sings along with brokenness. Uh, love comes along and says, I'm willing to, to confront you. I'm willing to say what I see. I'm willing to say what's challenging here. I'm willing to have that very difficult conversation. Now, there's all sorts of words that describe how to do that conversation, right? That I'm patient and I'm kind. I'm not jealous, I'm not boastful, I'm not rude, I'm not arrogant, I'm not demanding, I'm not irritating, right? There are all sorts of ways to do that, that, that conversation. But I come along and I say, there's a boundary. There's sin here. There's brokenness here. There's something that's not working. And, I'm, and I want to confront you with that. Uh, when, we, when we haven't learned to sing the gospel, uh, we'll do one of two things. Either uh, we will be patient and kind, but never confront or will confront, but not be patient and kind. Uh, if, I'm, if I'm confronting you, but I'm not patient and kind, what that means is I'm not really loving you for who you are. What that means is that I'm upset and I need to get something off my chest and I'll feel better. I'm not really concerned about uh, the sin, the brokenness, or the challenge that I see in you. On the other hand, if I say I'm just going to be patient and kind, patient and kind, you know, um, and that's really easy to do. I'm just going to be nice, uh, and I'm not going to confront. I'm never going to confront. I'm never going to say the thing that I see. Uh, then I'm really not loving you for you either. Then what I'm doing is saying, I value your approval, and I value uh, um, uh, you liking me, and I value this, uh, your affection. I value all of those things more than I value saying to you, you're driving off a when I learn to sing the gospel, when I learn the gospel that Jesus has loved me and embraced me, uh, even when I want something and can't give it, even when I'm completely stuck, Jesus loves me. And when I find out that I'm loved by him and I'll never lose that love, I have nothing else to gain. I have nowhere else, nothing else to uh, accumulate. Then I'm free to, to sing that gospel. And I can say to you, I'm going to confront you, and I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be kind, and I'm going to confront you. I'm not going to sing with injustice. I'm going to sing with the truth. So we do that in Oasis groups. We practice that music there. And then there's a second place that we practice that, and that's with our missional communities. Uh, we've had different iterations and different versions of what a missional community is all about. Uh, and a missional community is where we take the, the capacity to love and, and put that to work in a community around us, meeting challenges and needs. Uh, we do that together, loving each other on that team, but we also do that in extending love uh, beyond the walls of this community. So this morning, I want to uh, conclude uh, by showing you a short video. And uh, it's about a three-minute video, and then we're going to wrap up. Uh, and this is a video about one of our missional teams. You're going to see and hear what it looks like 
to sing the gospel, to sing the truth, to see what this love can do uh, when we love our neighbors. Where do you practice those things? The invitation is uh, be a part of an Oasis group, be a part of a missional team, and learn to sing. The world is counting on you. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do thank you and praise you for uh, the way that you love us. Lord, it's easy for us to hear words and to uh, acknowledge their truth, uh, but it's, a, it's another thing for the song to get into our heart. So Lord, help us to rejoice uh, in the way that you have loved us. Help us to find that to be completely sufficient and completely overwhelming uh, to fill us uh, utterly as we experience that love uh, to begin to sit to let that gospel sing through us as well uh, both here uh, with our, our friends and our family members in this uh, church community uh, sometimes in difficult places and difficult conversations and deep disappointments uh, but also uh, to sing that song in ways that uh, that helps us together to take on the challenges and brokenness and injustices around us in this world. Lord, we, uh, we want your beautiful, strong, never giving up, overwhelming gospel to be the song that we sing. In Jesus' name.